Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend of club, Ruta Aaron Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Kitubot, daf Pei Gimel, page 83. To our next parak. These paraks are sort of flying by. And this parak is going to deal with the question of, can you relinquish something that is actually within your right to own? In other words, we've spent, you know, the last parak in particular, talking about sort of what rights the husband has to a wife's property. And now we're going to deal with the question of, let's say the husband says, I don't want that property. So somebody writes to his wife, like basically makes some kind of document that says, right, which basically means I have no legal, right, Dean, or any devarim, no involvement your property, which basically means any rights he would have had to her property He's relinquishing. This, even if he writes this document, he is still is allowed to eat produce of her property in her lifetime. And if she dies, so then the question is, if he's still allowed to eat the payroll and he can even inherit from her, then why write this document, right? What does it mean then when you say Dina Devarim only kayam? What it means is that if she sells or gives away her property, that transaction is binding. So in other words, while she owns the property, he has access to it, but she is allowed to sell or do something with the property without his permission. Katabla, if he was for her, Dina Devarim only right? I have no legal or involvement with your property or with its produce. In that case, then he's not allowed to eat that produce. But still, when she dies, he would inherit that property. Rabbi Yehuda says, says he always can eat her payroll. In other words, even though he waves, you know, waves his right to eat that pay road, it still becomes, it's still always her use for property, right? Which means the yield always belongs to him. Like in a way, he can't really ever give that up. He's always entitled to it, even if he writes a document saying otherwise. Unless he writes the following for her. In other words, he has to write the sentence of ad olam, like it's it, like he has to really, in writing, say he relinquishes any and all rights. Let's say instead of writing ad olam, he says that I have no legal right or involvement with your property or the produce or the produce of the produce in your life and in your death. Time. And also is not allowed to inherit. Even if she dies, or says, he still is allowed to inherit. Right? Why? Because, and this is a very, very interesting principle, because he's stipulating something. He makes a document, something that's counter to the Torah. In other words, the Torah says he inherits from her, so he's writing something that's contrary to what's supposed to happen. If you make a stipulation at Tanai that runs counter to the Torah, 
we don't uphold it. You're not actually allowed to do this. So very, very interesting, Mishnah. Um, I think some of the question we need to think about is, why would a person do this? Maybe they don't want to manage it. Maybe somebody's coming in with a lot of property and they almost just don't want to deal with it. Maybe if they're wealthy, they don't need to deal with it because they have their own property. So that's sort of one of my questions about this Mishnah. And then the Gemara starts with a very, very interesting brisa. Tani Ravichia, Ravichia taught the following brisa, Ha'omer li'ishto. In other words, our Mishnah teaches Ha'kotev li'ishto, he writes it. He says, no, it also can be that what? That you could even state these things verbally, and it doesn't actually have to be written in a star. So then the Gemara says, right? And if he wrote this, what of it? In other words, uh, you know, if if you write a stipulation like this, how does it take a hold? Didn't we learn in Abraisa? Somebody says to his friend, I have no legal involvement or, you know, or involvement with this field, right? Or I have no dealings with it. Or my hands are removed from it. We actually say, it's like he didn't say anything. So the question is, how could Rabbi Chia say that actually it is okay? So the Gemara is going to try to deal with this question and sort of try to figure out how exactly uh, does this work and sort of dig in a little bit deeper about the idea right? That can somebody sort of, uh, you know, waive their rights to something, even if it's something that they would, uh, if they would benefit from. And, and so I think it's, it's a very interesting question, why somebody would want to do this, and if they're even actually allowed to do it themselves. So uh, I, you know, I don't know, I'm finding this already be a very I think the whole concept, the whole question of whether you can make a decision that runs counter to the Torah, especially when you're talking about stipulation, like this would require some kind of formal stipulation because the Torah here is giving you something. You want to say you don't want it, right? Or you're or you're not going to, to participate in, but in doing so, you're con- are you contravening the Torah? Is it an option to have this thing? Or is it something that you're required to have? And and obviously there's a great deal of discussion on this as we'll see, as we continue to see. Um, right, and, to- and, and they even get into other discussions about like let's say you're somebody who inherits property from somewhere else and you say you don't want it right the question is are you allowed to make a stipulation that overrides you know something else that sort of came to you in a completely legal way right i mean the example there right you would say well can you decline it or do you have to accept it and then pass it on right meaning nobody's saying you have to do anything with this forever right meaning he can always pass it along, but the, it's there's a lot here to unpack, as you would say, I think. And it's not simple because the rules, the system itself is, is right? The system establishes itself. Can And the question then is, can the system establish itself upon the refusal to accept the system, right? Like it's a, it's a little bit of a, a mind vendor. Right. I think. And I just want to point out one thing that the first solution that's presented here is, you know, the House of Rabbi Anai, which says this Mishnah could only be when it's uh, Erosine. In other words, they aren't fully married because it's like once they're fully married, he automatically is in possession of these things. But the problem is the language of the Mishnah is Kotev Li 
it seems to be something that he wrote when they already were fully married. So again, we can't read the whole doc, but just really pay close attention to some of this background because it's pretty deep and it's pretty detailed. So I'm jumping over to Amadbet, and Amadbet picks up on this line of Imkein Lama Katavla, meaning, right, if the husband is saying that he has no claim to the property, and um, and that then he, and if it, according to that Mishnah, right, he has not given up his right to benefit from the produce of that property or to inherit or whatever, right, then why is it, right, why is it? He's still retaining his rights. Why is it that he would write to her that I'm not having any legal dealings or involvements or whatever it is, right? Meaning he's he still has his rights. So what's the purpose of the writing? So what happens? The Gemara says, you know, doesn't the wife say to him, you know, what do you think you get to do with any of my things here? You think you retain the rights, but you took yourself, you removed yourself. That's really the language of the Aramaic here. You removed yourself from everything. And so the point here is that perhaps he wrote a general statement, right? Like he's not going to have anything to do with anything. And then that seems to be a renouncement, right? He's not going to have anything to do. He's giving up his rights. Amar Abaye, Yad Baal Ashtar Al Hatachtona. So Abaye says that we've got this general principle, not just here, that the whoever is the owner of the document is at a disadvantage. Yad Baal Hashtar, the the hand of the owner of the, the document is on the bottom, on the bottom, meaning underneath. It's a, it's a, it literally means here disadvantage, right? Meaning the document, you're going to, you're going to interpret it, you know, as carefully and as narrowly as possible. You're only going to go for the most limited requirements here. And so then the husband is assumed to, because you don't want to say that he's, uh, he's relinquishing everything. That's a much more sweeping statement. So let's look at it narrowly, meaning by definition, let's look at it narrowly. And it must mean that he still retains some of his rights. But the Gemara doesn't quite love that. And it says, you know, so if that's the case, then is he, why does he say from the produce, right? Maybe he's, why don't we just say, right, that he's simply taking himself off the produce, and he'll have rights to inheritance or whatever else, or sale. Meaning, there's all kinds of other things that he could then claim, but he he still retains the rights. Amar Abaye, butzina tav mikra. So Abaye says we've got another claim, right? Um, uh, another good line that we rely on as a general principle that a cucumber is better than a gourd. Meaning, if you have a cucumber, you're in better shape than if you have a gourd. Why that is, right? I mean, why this is the expression, I, I can't tell you. Um, and I do have, you know, a beautiful picture here in my in my realia section of my Gemara that is a picture of a gourd. But why why they choose this as the as the proverb, I, I couldn't tell you. Dana, do you have any ideas? No, I don't actually. I, I was hoping you would. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll come up with something, or maybe one of you will come up with something. I want to thank all the people who wrote to us, by the way, who had ideas on the previous issue of the finger between the teeth. Um, and the the here the issue though is the idea here is that if you have a cucumber um, now, right? The claim is that it's now, as compared to a gourd that you'll only have later. So maybe a gourd is really a better thing. We have English proverbs about this also, hand in the, right, um, what is it? Oh, shoot, now I'm forgetting, right? Something in the hand is worth two in the bush because if it's in the bush, like too bad, you, you don't have any access, but a bird, it's a bird. If the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So it's the same concept as that, right? That you're, you're not going to have this later. 
And so the claim then is, or the presumption is, that the husband access to the payroll is right now it's going to be more important to him than whether he later on can go forward and sell the field. So when he says, yeah, whatever, I'm not having those rights, what is he really talking about? Right? Is he going to give up the right to the produce that he has access to right now? Or is he more likely to give up the right to the, you know, future rights to selling and so on, which maybe he doesn't even necessarily have, depending on what the terms are. So the Gemara goes on to ask again, the Ama Mirusha, what happens if the husband is giving up his rights to the inheritance? Meaning, why do we have to say that it's from the payroll? Amar Abaye, Mita Shricha, Machira Lo Shricha. So Abaye says, and this is really uh, like a by itself, it's its own proverb, so to speak. If Abaye keeps coming to the, with these lines, death is common, meaning it's a found common kind of thing that happens. A sale, however, he says, is not common. Now, why you'd say a sale is not common as compared to death, we could do, I think, a deep dive into, you know, human mortality and so on. But I think the claim here is also part of the issue of, you know, who is doing the selling? If you've inherited land, are you really going to go sell your your Yerusha, your inheritance? You know, we all know that everybody's going to die. But on the other hand, not everybody has that opportunity to sell an inheritance. So Abai's point then is maybe he would not even think to make this conditional, you know, refu- um, what's the word, remove himself from the whole situation because he's not even thinking about selling, right? So that if you remove himself, he's doing it in an un. Here, I'm going to read this inside. I'm sorry. So the Gemara says as follows, and I start to say it backwards. The Gemara says, a person is more likely to remove themselves from the phenomenon that is not common, meaning eh, I'm not even going to worry about it, right? But from the thing that is common, that is going to happen, that you can rely on, you don't, you don't, you don't relinquish yourself from that because you know it's going to happen. Ravashi Amar lo velo mita. So Ravashi says, no, we've got a different. Re- he gives a different reason here. Right? When he says, "I," when the husband says, "I am not claiming your property," right? He means he's not. When he says, "I have no claim," right? That still doesn't fully remove him from his right to claim the produce. Right, because when he says to your property, according to Ravashi, that means you know during your lifetime, but not that he's relinquishing the claim to anything she might leave him after her death. So I want to reiterate what your Dana, your Dana, what you said that this is this is complicated because the question of where like in addition to what is going to work, right? Is it going to work to relinquish your claim from something that is already established by the Torah? There's a good deal of, I would say, really delving into what is a person's psyche in this case, right? Like what is normal that a person would likely be making a conditional statement, this removal of himself from these things? When would he say this? Why would he say this? How far does a person go? And I think that makes it, you know, none of this is, um, trans. there's no transparency in the guy's statement. So it becomes... Uh, a very fancy, as I say, like a probing of the psychology of what would be the normal thing to expect him to have said to understand what really was being said. And, and I find this to be interesting because 
couldn't the answer be someone makes a declaration? It's an unusual declaration. They're sort of relinquishing something that's entitled to them. Wouldn't we know what he meant by that based on sort of his behavior afterwards? But the halacha, you know, the Gemara is saying, no, it needs to be hammered out before. <laughs> you know, maybe there's a little bit of concern. They'll backtrack. They'll try to take something that wasn't really right for theirs. Um, but it's kind of this balance between like typical human language making a request that is not a typical request or demand or stipulation, and then sort of having to figure out when we sort of say these things in a general way, what is what do we actually mean by them? Yeah, yeah. I think this is part of why I think this is, you know, the Gemara gives us a window into a huge issue of law and in, in terms of it's the what the intersection of civil law with property and also marriage, divorce, expectations of what goes on from the Torah law, right? Like it, it's complicated and messy in a good way, right? Meaning this is not, none of these are like, this is not an upsetting topic for me in the same way that other things that we've talked about end up being of concern. It's just, there's a lot of details and there's, it really requires expertise to arrive at the right conclusion. Right. I just, I'm just take, you know, I still just don't understand like how common was this, you know, it's getting its own parak, It's getting a leading Mishnah. Was this really something that happened often? That's what I'm just not sure about. I mean, if you, I don't know, I like, the, I'm fumfering because I, I don't have a clear answer, obviously, you know, whether it was common or not. I think that the question of um, this equation of property rights between the husband and the wife, I think, um, maybe even the way that we have some level of discomfort with the, it's so hard fast, right? Like this is the way it has to be. And I think that maybe real life couples didn't always tick that way. So I feel like maybe there was a reality that needed to be addressed in terms of, you know, what do you do if you're not just simply, you know, using the default template of, you know, the marriage equation of what each partner gets from the other. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, with that statement. All right, we'll have to see how this unfolds tomorrow. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. We're in case reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Time and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.